notice righteousness again, right along with peace. And that, by the way, brings us joy. And all of that is accomplished by the Spirit of God inside of us. You see, only believers have the ability to do this. I'm not asking you to do something that you can't do. I'm not commanding, the scripture is not commanding of you something that you haven't been empowered. If you are a believer sitting here this morning, you have the Spirit of God. That's our fundamental unity. You're a new creation in Christ. So it's the joy that I can call to all of you to do this who are true believers. And I know that you can. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Being a peacemaker is necessary to enter into the kingdom, not as a means by which you earn it, but the means by which you demonstrate that you are part of it. You must be a peacemaker. Peacemaking is a hallmark of God's children. A person who is not a peacemaker is either not a Christian or a disobedient Christian. The person who is continually disruptive, divisive, and quarrelsome has good reason to doubt his relationship with God altogether. Now, let me just follow, make this a little bit more challenging by laying out a few of the other verses that we haven't yet talked about that give this command. It isn't like we can say, well, that's a secondary issue. We need to bring people to Christ, and if the church gets along, who cares about that? Well, we've already seen that if you don't get along or you're not a peacemaker, then you're probably not part of the real church. So it's pretty important. But let's just look at a couple other issues on this challenge. That would be third on your outline, the challenge to peacemaking. See, to make peace again is to do everything possible to restore or establish peace where none has existed. This task, by its very definition, takes place in the most difficult of circumstances because we're sinners. So we have to pursue this. That's number one. We are to pursue peacemaking. Romans 14. Go ahead and turn there. There, there will come a time when we have uh, a lot more time to study Romans 14 and 15. Really, Romans 14 and 15 is all about how to keep peace within the church. Not so much with theological issues, which the apostle has really laid out in verses or in chapters 1 through, you know, 1 through 11, where he says, look, here's the theology, here's what Jesus did, here's justification. Guys, there has to be agreement there. You can't be in the church and go, I don't believe in justification by faith. Uh, I, I don't believe that I need the righteousness of Christ. Right? Th- that causes a fundamental disunity and, and there's not unity. But when you read to Romans 14 and 15 saying, look, there's a whole other realm of areas within the church or that people you know, wrestle with, things like people who were in Judaism and they were going back to, you know, they wanted to keep the Sabbath day or certain food regulations. Because look, those aren't the things you fight about. Every man looks at days differently. He does those things differently. And so you just let, you allow people to do that. Right? And Romans 14, 18, again, we can only get pieces of this. It says, for he who serves in this way, uh, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, guys, probably in our church, we're not wrestling with going back to Judaistic food laws or the exercise of our freedom in not doing that. Here's what we're wrestling with, if I may make an application to today. We wrestle with a whole series of other regulations that we brought into the church by which we determine the spirituality of others. Media content. Well, what will you watch? What will you see on your computer? What will you... Yes, where those things are, are, are certainly evil, where it's evil things you're bringing before your eyes, it's clear, that's evil. But there's a realm of conscience in how you use those things, how you use technology, how you use media, that we have to give leeway. And they do not become the litmus test. Well, if you use your computer that way, or if you use Twitter a lot, or whatever it might be, you must not be as spiritual as I am. I'm making an application to this text, but I think, I believe it applies a whole series of secondary issues, not theology about who Christ is and what he's done. We're constantly pressing towards truth there, and we're making sure that we believe the same things about the faith. But when it comes here to these kinds of issues, so maybe it's technology, maybe it's schooling techniques. I go after this a lot. I'll keep going after it till this is totally done in our church, where there is never another discussion about if you Christian school or homeschool or public school, that maybe you're not spiritual. I don't believe that's happened yet, so I'm going to keep at it. It's a secondary issue. It's a conscience issue that you allow some to do, uh, you know, and you say, look, I accept you for that. Your, your purpose in that, I'm going to assume, is right and good and godly. You're going to pursue that in a godly way. We're not going to fight over it. I'm not going to use it as a litmus test of your spirituality because it destroys the peace of this body. And people walk in and go, oh, I'm not spiritual if I don't do that. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's not the issue. And you're going to cause divisions over that? Break up families and, and relationships over that? How about the food laws that we, that we bring back in? I know I go after this too. As I told the first service, it's, it's easy, you know, on my side where I don't, I don't believe scripturally you should be as concerned necessarily about, you know, the kinds of food you ingest as some kind of spiritual exercise. Do I think you should, you know, is it good to be healthy within the realm of, of how your conscience dictates? Sure. And so I can be arrogant on one side. I say, look, you don't need all that. Eat a McDonald's all the time. That's more spiritual. It isn't. And I'm not saying that. So please, you're like, okay, good. But I'm also not saying that you bring in other kinds of things. Say, if it's not organic, it's not spiritual. And if it's, if it's not this kind of food or not that kind of thing, you don't do these things, you're unspiritual. We don't determine spirituality on that. Maybe health. You're not very healthy, sorry. But that's not an issue of spirituality. All foods are clean in that issue. And so guys, be careful that we are not then taking secondary issues. There could be a whole host of others. In fact, there are a whole host of others. Things you choose to do with your free time, ways you deal with your family, Everybody is a little bit different in those regards. And if we don't learn how to live with one another in those ways, we are not pursuing peace. Romans 12, 18, again, says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That's speaking, by the way, even of unbelievers. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit towards the end of the time. Even unbelievers you are to be at peace with. If they remain warring with you, which most unbelievers will at some levels because you're presenting them the gospel and they don't like that. And by the way, if they do like the way you present the gospel, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity, just accept Jesus and everything will be good for you. If they love that, there's a problem with your gospel. All right? They don't have to hate you personally. You don't have to be abrasive and foolish and harmful, but your gospel is not going to make people jump up and down. And so there's always going to be somewhat of a war there with family members who don't know Christ. You are not going to be at complete peace with them, but you, they're not going to be at complete peace with you. But as far as your attitude, your thoughts, your heart towards them, it should be peaceful. And you have to make every effort to do that. The verse we already read, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Notice how peace and sanctification go together. 
you're not growing in holiness, you're not growing in the ability to make peace. You cannot stay static in the Christian life in your pursuit of holiness and think that you will grow in peacemaking because truth and peace go hand in hand. You do not throw truth out the window in order to have peace. Um, And that's not what Romans 14 and 15 are saying. We don't believe in truth anymore, and so we'll all do whatever we want. No, it's issues where truth can be applied in different ways. We have peace in those areas when people do it differently. So we are to pursue peacemaking. We're to be diligent. I'm just using these two words. We pursue it, and then we stay at it. That's that's number two on your outline. We're diligent in peacemaking. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, that is the return of Christ, in judgment upon unbelievers and in blessing upon believers. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Notice again, spotless, blameless, sanctification, holiness goes right along with peace. But I ask you, if he were to return again this moment, which he could, would we be found in peace? Would you have been diligent to solve every conflict that you know of in your life up to this point? Have you been diligent? Husbands to wives, parents to children, children to parents, sibling to sibling, worker to worker, church member to church member. How diligent have you been? Guys, let me say this gently, but... We have, as elders, as the leadership of the church, have sought to do everything possible to forgive you all of the tools you need to solve your conflicts. I understand if you couldn't come to the conference, I get that, but if you haven't yet downloaded the material, so that, unless you already know it all, which you probably don't, so it's probably good to download it anyway. If you haven't downloaded that to work through those five sessions, incredibly practical on how to, on how to pursue peace, if you haven't done that and you're still in conflict, you have a problem. We have provided you with the resources. You are accountable for those resources. I say that gently. I I say that kindly, but I can't say it any less forcefully. You have been given what you need. You are without excuse. Now, if there's still some aspect that isn't covered, you go, whoa, whoa, I I heard all those things, and I'm still wrestling with this. Great. Come and see us. We have open doors. There are people to come and, and call and talk to and that will help you work through that. If you haven't done that again, you are without excuse. If there is any conflict in this church which hasn't been solved and you're not working on it, then you have no excuse for doing so, for not working on it. Again, I say that with all the gentleness in my heart, but there's still too much conflict. There's still things going on that you need to work on. And please, it's not something, some individual thing. I know this is true of a church this size. All the conflicts are not yet solved, and they need to be ever increasingly solved. We need to be diligent in peacemaking, Ephesians 4, 3, that I already read, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Well, now let's talk about the practice of peacemaking. And I'm going to draw out some of the more general, perhaps basic scriptural principles that underlie this. I think they're very practical, but again, as I've told you, I mean, we had a conference that gave you literally how you are, how you can change your wording to express peace. I mean, he went that far. Look, don't say it this way, say it this way, because that doesn't reflect scripture. And this does. Now, I get that if your heart isn't there, if you're not really loving people, as we'll see, if you're not a Christian, changing the wording doesn't help you at all. But if you are, then the very specifics of how to actually change the way you talk so that it reflects Scripture properly, that's what you need. We've gone there. So I'm not going to get at all the specifics today, but we've been there, and you can find it, and you can apply it to your own situation. General principles today, I realize they need to be more specific, which is why we don't just believe that preaching from the pulpit solves everything. 
look, I'll give you one message on peacemaking. You should go home and fix all that. <laughs> I mean, stuff takes a while to get going. It takes a while to fix. So, and yet, if you're not working on it, that's the issue. I'm not saying if you haven't solved all this tomorrow, then you know, shame on you. Are you not working on it? Are you not pursuing it? Because as believers, we should be able to solve these things. So general principles of practicing peacemaking. These are things you know, but the question is, are you doing them? First, practice love. Whoa, I was expecting some really deep theological insight. Well, love is pretty deep. And love is pretty practical. And if you don't have love, you will solve no conflict, not one. Without love, you will solve nothing. Because you can do nothing of profit without love. And the scripture is even more challenging in 1 Corinthians 13. You are nothing without love. It is, though, it, is, it is as though your spiritual footprint is non-existent when you don't love. It's like you don't even exist as a believer if you don't love, because it is the essence of a believer to love, because it is the essence of God to love. Now, if you're wondering about that, or you think that's a little strong, then come to our friends and family weekend, because I plan to spend Friday night and Saturday fleshing that out. I've been doing it on, on Wednesday nights. It's not going to be a rerun of Wednesday nights, but if you've been there, you might as well come, because what we were talking about on Wednesday night is too deep for me to even get my mind around, so I need to keep preaching it. First Corinthians 13, like, that's easy. I mean, you know, love is patient, love is kind. There's a whole lot more there. Not that it's past that, it's just doing that is not easy. So you might not like camping very much, but I encourage you to come and show up and brave the campfire and the kids running around and the fact that it's dark and hear the first message on Friday night. Set up your tent, put your kids in there, and then ask someone else, I'll be there, say, hey, Chris, would you wash over my kids? I'm going back to my house. People do that, by the way. <laughs> so you're like, hey, free night out. If, you, if someone will take care of my kids, and usually they do. Um, and you think, well, talent, no talent. I mean, I wouldn't get within a, you know, 10 miles of a talent, no talent night. That's fine. Show up. We'll do the, do the message first, and then you can boogie out the door. You don't have to stay. Listen to people you know, burp or whatever they do for the talent, no talent. It's a lot of fun. I think you ought to come. You know, Ron said he only wanted to keep moving towards talent, but I like the no talent. I think it's pretty cool. But you don't have to stay for that. Right? There's some neat things that go on and some fellowship that happens. But nonetheless, guys, our whole weekend is going to be spent on how we love. And by the way, why not come to the fellowship portion so you can resolve a conflict you have with somebody in this church? Or maybe why don't you come and spend some time talking with somebody over the fire and making them a shmore so that you don't enter into conflict with them because you know them a little better than you did before. And it's a whole lot easier to judge, a whole lot harder to judge them when you actually know who they are. And oh, they know you too. So you can share that together. So that's why we do these things. Again, I know you can't come to everything. We're doing a lot. So I'm not saying if you don't show up at everything you don't love and you're not part of the body. I'm saying pick the things that, that you can do within your schedule. Create as much opportunity as you can and make sure you get the truth and practice the reality in whatever way is possible. This is just another way to do it. God's people, says John MacArthur in this idea of practicing love, are to contend without being contentious. They are to disagree without being disagreeable. They are to confront without being abusive. The peacemaker speaks the truth in love. To start with love is to start towards peace. Vital for us to understand. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And so peace is not overlooking your unrighteousness in, by saying, that doesn't matter. I may choose at that time not to deal with it. I may cover it in that way, but I haven't said it doesn't matter. And when there is sinful issues going on in your life, love confronts, but it does so in a gracious, kind way. And then when there's building up that needs to do, not sin involved, but somebody's wrestling or struggling with, a weak, with weakness or a weak heart or, or needing some encouragement, love comes alongside and, and builds relationship by doing that. And so love goes both ways. It both confronts sin and constantly encourages so that relationships are built and they're strengthened. Love is full-orbed. 
You see, love is a desire above all things to see others conformed to the image of Christ. Love pursues that conformity through the gracious exercise of all the Christian virtues so that God receives fullest glory. Without love, peacemaking becomes bitter and contentious or weak and spineless. One of the two, without true love. True love is strength. It is strength applied. So we'll talk more about that next weekend. It's all the time we have for it this morning. In order to be a peacemaker, you must also love righteousness. You must love righteousness. I've already mentioned this several times, but I want, you to, I want to bring to bear the scripture that makes this most clear in James chapter 3, as it ties righteousness directly to this idea of peace. And if we are not growing in righteousness, if we do not love the righteousness of God, then we will not be peacemakers. We, we cannot be. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. We talked about that last week, pure in heart. It is necessary for your conscience to be properly dictating to your inner man, your thoughts and your affections and your will, what is right and what is wrong. And it's to go off when you're doing things wrong. It's to be a source of encouragement when you're doing things right. Wouldn't it be an incredible thing if in your own heart, whenever you did what was right, you had a source of encouragement right there. It said, that's great, keep doing it. And you didn't even have to have someone else come alongside and say, that's great, keep doing it. Because your own heart was telling you, that's right. You're informing your heart properly so that it does that. And also in your heart where your conscience is saying, that's wrong. Because remember, the conscience does both. It both condemns when we do wrong and affirms or condones when we do what is right. You need both in your heart so you pursue what is righteous. But when that's happening, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Because of that purity, then wisdom says, I'll do whatever it takes to make peace. I'm open. That is, I'll long to be at peace with you if there's any kind of conflict, and I'll go to you if there's some kind of conflict with me, and if there's conflict with others, wisdom says, I'll come and I'll bring to bear the principles of the Word of God so that you'll be peaceable. Purity flows out in making peace. goes on to talk about that wisdom. It's gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Wow, sounds like a lot lot like the Beatitudes, doesn't it? That's the expression of wisdom. Wisdom is what brings blessedness in the kingdom, and wisdom is all of these things that are mentioned in these Beatitudes. It says, goes on to say wisdom is unwavering without hypocrisy. And then in verse 18, if you're looking there, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, peace brings righteousness. Righteousness brings more peace, and the two go around together like sowing and reaping. And the more we sow righteousness, the more we reap peace, the more we we reap that peace, we sow more, and it just keeps going and going. And that's what this church ought to look like, a constant harvest of righteousness and therefore peace. Conflicts disappearing as in being solved. There's new conflicts will arise, trust me. So we can't afford a backlog of old ones because you're going to keep bringing new ones because you're a sinner. So you should keep dealing with them day by day. I'm not saying that we'll get to a point in a church where there are no more conflicts. You're sinners, there will be conflicts. You just can't afford to have a backlog of old ones because there's not not enough time to get there. Fix that so we can press on in the new ones that we have and work through those. You must love righteousness. God's way to peace is through purity. Peace cannot be attained at the expense of righteousness. Two people cannot be at peace until they recognize and resolve the wrong attitudes and actions that cause the conflict between them and then bring themselves to God for cleansing. Peace that ignores the cleansing that brings purity is not God's peace. 
So I'm in no way advocating that we become a church who overlooks righteousness and says, it doesn't matter to be holy because, see, we'll build peace that way. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. Because the more unholy we are, the more lacking of righteousness we are, the more selfish we become, and the less peaceful we truly are. Oh, that can be a veneer of peace. You know, bless so-and-so, and bless so-and-so, and I'm praying for your brother, and I'm praying for your sister. And underneath that is a harshness and a, and a vindictiveness and a selfishness that turns on that person when they leave, that just hangs out with their own family or whatever it might be, whatever group you like, and, and shuns other people. Because that's unholiness. Because again, the less you pursue righteousness, the more your selfishness shines through. And unless people agree with you and want to do what you want, you aren't at peace with them. And since it's impossible for them to do so and still want what they want and get what they want, no one will be at peace. It is only when we love righteousness and have a proper standard of God's righteousness to direct our peacefulness that we will actually grow. So we must pursue love. We must love righteousness. We must abhor selfishness. You see that all these go together. They're not like, you know, I can try that piece and then I'll, I'll, they all have, they're coming together. You can't love with and be selfish, right? That has to be disappearing as well. You got to work on all these essentially at the same time. You can't love righteousness and be selfish because it's the opposite. Selfishness abhors righteousness because it just wants what self desires. I already read in James 3, 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. When I see a church or I see a relationship or I see a marriage that is racked by a lack of peace, I know what's there. Jealousy and selfish ambition. I, I will get what I want and I'm not getting it out of this marriage, so I'm mad at you. I will get what I want and I'm not getting it in this church, so I'll be angry or frustrated and I'll express that anger through a lack of peace and I'll Stir up, I'll, I'll fan the flames of discord and discontent because I am not getting what I want. Jealousy, selfish ambition. I, I don't want others to have what they have. That's jealousy. It's not only that I want what you have, it's that I don't like it when you get what you do have. That makes me mad. Why do they have that? Why do they get that? Why is their marriage like that? Why do they have that house? Why do they have that giftedness? Evil. And certainly will cause a lot of discord. And certainly you're not the only ones that struggle with it. My my strength of that discussion comes from seeing that in my own heart. I've just been, again, we've been discussing this on Wednesday nights. In my own selfishness and my lack of love of, of what the Lord provides for others and joy in it causes a, a, a lack of peace with them. Romans 15 says, now we, Romans 15 verse 1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now we won't get into the whole strong weak issue. Again, it's just a, it's an, it's a brother who's been in the faith longer. And so their conscience allows them to do certain things that another brother doesn't, neither of them in sin. And yet, regardless of what brother it is, and certainly the stronger brother that is whose conscience allows him to do certain things that maybe others don't, he ought to, he ought to not be doing anything to just please himself. Verse two says, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. The only thing I care about is whether you're built up and edified. And that certainly means I'm not going to be in conflict with you because that doesn't edify you. That doesn't build you up. That tears you down. And that's all I'm interested in. Guys, is that all you're interested in? That someone else will be edified and built up? That's all Jesus was interested in because he's the example used there. For even Christ did not serve himself, goes Romans 15.3. Because that's who we are to be, abhorring selfishness. I don't mean just trying not to be selfish. I mean, hating selfishness, finding it ugly, it's oozing slime that creeps out from the corners of your heart and tries to draw things back to yourself. It's ugly, it's gross, it's tainting. That's what selfishness is. 
yours and mine. And I find it oozing out of my life all the time. And it's sick, it's ugly, it's gross. And it causes division and a lack of peace. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's the verses we already talked about. It's not about these secondary issues, the issues of freedom that a, a, a true believer may engage in. Again, I'm not talking about doctrinal issues of how we believe in God and whether the scriptures are true, those sorts of things. I'm talking about the whole realm of freedom within, which, within which Christians can operate. The kingdom of God is, is not eating and drinking. What is it? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. We are making peace. We are pursuing, right, notice righteousness again, right along with peace. And that, by the way, brings us joy. And all of that is accomplished by spirit of God inside of us. You see, only believers have the ability to do this. I'm not asking you to do something that you can't do. I'm not commanding, the scripture is not commanding of you something that you haven't been empowered. If you are a believer sitting here this morning, you have the spirit of God. That's our fundamental unity. You're a new creation in Christ. So it's the joy that I can call to all of you to do this who are true believers and I know that you can, which is why I can hold you accountable if you're not. And you can hold me accountable if I am not. If I'm not a believer, we'll talk about that in just a minute. There are some differences. But for believers, there's no conflict that cannot be solved, not one. The next thing we need to do is, number four, seek acceptance. Ooh, what are you talking about there? If I want to be accepted, then you know, may maybe that would lead to a lack of peace because I'm a people pleaser. I don't mean it in that way. Romans 15.5 says this. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. That's the unity found in Christ. His purpose, his goal is the truth of the gospel. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. With one voice, in one accord, we want to be praising and honoring God according to the truths of Scripture. It goes on to say in verse 7 of Romans 15, therefore, if we're going to do this, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. I'm going to accept you when you wrestle with certain things. I'm going to accept you if, if you, you have areas of your personality just kind of rub me wrong. I'm going to accept you for the purpose of working with you and loving you in essentially everything. I'm not accepting or finding joy in sin, but I'm going to accept you and work, help you work through those issues regardless, and I'm never going to give up on you. I'm constantly looking for ways to draw you into relationship with me rather than push you out of it. I'm not looking for ways where I can, oh, there's another relationship I can cut off. You see, that's what kids do. That's what little children, that's what immature people do. They walk around going, you know, I have a certain group of people that I want to hang out with, and if you're not part of my group, oh, I, just give me an excuse, and boom, you're gone. I mean, I see this in, in youth group, unfortunately. It's kind of waiting, you know, if, if you're not part of my group, or you're not, don't, you know, don't talk like I do, or you're not, you know, don't go to the same school I do, you know, you're, out of, you're, out of my, you're out of my group. <sighs> I mean, it's frustrating to see that happen with, with kids. It's much more frustrating to see it happen with adults. And unfortunately, adults just grow up and get better at it. Kids are usually pretty open about that. You know, look, talk to the hand. I, you know, I, I like the athletes. That's who I am. That's not right. It isn't good. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying they're pretty open, usually pretty open about that. Believers are like, I'll pray for you, but I don't really like you. You know, all kinds of things we say to one another. I don't know what your cliche is, but you do that and then you stiff arm people. And you, you look for excuses. Well, you know, they didn't talk to me right. They missed that opportunity to be in my group. Boom, you're gone. Put a little sliver of a lack of peace right there. And you start to build it. And you've already cut off someone in the church and you just got there. I mean, how's that going to be helpful? And people are doing that all the time. Carving off little pieces of peace because you didn't respond to them properly or say the right word or do the right thing. You all, we all do it. Not just you all, we all do it. 
And therefore, we need to seek acceptance. I'm just looking for ways to get you into my group, as it were, into my friendship. And if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're all in my group. And I want you in, not out. And so I refuse to lack peace with you. I look to accept you in every possible way. Again, do we accept gross sin in the assembly? No. Do we overlook doctrinal uh, you know, areas of difficulty, wrong doctrine, say, oh, it's fine? We don't. But we look for acceptance in every way possible that we might even work through those issues. Abhor selfishness, seek acceptance, cultivate like-mindedness, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Again, so it's not like we're all saying, look, let's all pursue all our individual things we like. You know, I've said, look, accept people, let them work out their consciences the way that, you know, the Lord would have them. But I'm not saying that we rejoice, we come together and we go, you just let me rejoice in my freedom and stay away. Because see, that can happen to a church too. Where it's all about, look, don't touch me about my freedom. And it's all about how much freedom can I express. And we're not talking about that. We accept everybody where they are in, within, in scriptural terms, but we are all cultivating a growing like-mindedness. We all want to look more like Jesus. And that will change our conscience issues. That will change the way we look. It will, and that's painful. But you're not to be here going, look, just stay away from me because I got all these things I like to do and we'll, all just, and we'll rejoice in our differences in the wrong kind of way. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 2, 2. Make my joy complete. By what? If you've been memorizing Philippians along with us. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That is, my one purpose is to glorify God through the truths and principles of Scripture that conform me to the image of Christ. That's my passion. So I'm not looking to exalt my differences and exalt my conscience over yours and say, don't mess with my conscience. I'm just looking to to glorify Christ. And whatever can help me do that, I want to do that. And when everybody's pressing towards that, our conscience issues change, our desires are, you know, we're constantly allowed us to be changed. And if if one thing is actually better than another, I go do that. Yes, we're always willing to do that as we focus on the like-mindedness of being conformed to the image of Christ. A church that longs for that is able to overcome its differences and make peace. Because we want to look like Jesus. Stop grumbling would be number six. Go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. It's just a little further on. Remember then in Philippians, the overarching, really probably the overarching theme of that book is unity. Unity in the body of Christ. It's joyful unity, maybe, if you wanted to add in there, get two things, because it's all about you know, a joyful pursuit of the things of God. But Philippians is about unity in the body of Christ, not just unity or, or just you know, personal holiness. And the verse I'm about to read is what moms always quote to their kids when they don't want to take out the garbage. And while it applies nicely to that, it's not the primary application. The application of this verse is within the church and staying unified with one another. And here's the verse. You guys, what is that verse? I need to quote that to my kids when they grumble. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now, now why should we do that? Verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We're not talking about, again, grumbling about the garbage, although you shouldn't do that. We're talking about not grumbling together as a body of believers and not grumbling against one another and not inappropriate. Well, inappropriately grumbling with those two, kind of an oxymoron. If you're grumbling, it's inappropriate. All right, but not, inappro- not inappropriately even you know, pursuing things with the leadership. Properly doing that if you have problems. Properly working through issues with others, but not grumbling and disputing with one another. Really, the background of that is, is the children of Israel in Numbers, where they were grumbling against God because of his provision, and they were grumbling against one another because they didn't love each other. And God brought his judgment upon us. He says, look, don't do that, because when you stop grumbling and disputing, the world looks and says, there's God. Notice what it says. You will be what? Children of God. 
You will appear as children of God above reproach. See, the world knows that their heart is to grumble and dispute and complain, not just about the thing that God has provided, but with everybody else. In your workplaces, you know this is true, constant grumbling against the leadership, against the other people, against the other workers, constant. It's everywhere. Any organization you would ever join, any country you will ever be part of, constant grumbling and complaining. The church must be different. I'm not, I guess if you have real issues with church leadership and with other people in the church, you need to actually solve those, not just grumble and complain about why people aren't doing what you want. And there comes a point even sometimes where you've solved it as far as you can. That's, that's all that can be done. The church is solid and, and sound. The elders are qualified. You, you're like, you know, I've, I've solved this as far as I can. I'm still not real happy with it, but you know what? I'm not going to grumble and complain because it just steals from the, the joy of the church. And I went to Grace Community Church West, you know, that way, I guess, uh, when I was in seminary. Huge church, 10,000 people. And, and with solid, godly leaders. Constant complaining, mostly by the seminary students coming in. And they come and they join the church because they want to be part. Oftentimes they wanted to use the resources of the church to better their next job. Unfortunately, not everybody, but some. So there's constant complaining. Well, I don't like this about the church. And I don't like this about the church. And, and I was like, uh, again, that certainly is a tendency of mine as well, if I'm not careful. But I was challenged, truly, I was challenged by a couple of people to say, look, why are you grumbling? E- either choose to rejoice in what's here or decide it's unbiblical and either d- directly address it or get out. <laughs> Go find somewhere else. And I realized, no, what's going on here is biblical. It's right. It's good. I don't, you know, I don't agree with everything John MacArthur teaches. I don't agree with every way he runs his church. In fact, we have some, we have some differences that we run things here than he runs it his. But you know what? I love the man of God. And I love the church. And I thought, you know what? I'm on board. And if I can't deal with a particular issue that I don't like, if there's no place to go with it, I just let it go. I, it just doesn't need to be dealt with. And I'm not going to share it with anybody else so that I break up the unity of the church. And I would have those conversations with young men who just were sure that they had to say something. I say, you're killing this church. You think you're not a part of it just because it has 10,000 members? If you're grumbling, that's not being, affecting some other member of this body and you're destroying the unity. You're not making peace. Stop. If you've got a real problem, deal with it. Take it as far as it needs to go and then leave it. Either fully solved or far enough that you believe it's still a godly place to be. Do not grumble. Deal with problems. Next is extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind. All those are, are, are peace-breaking words. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Ah, talk about thing that breaks peace. Slander. Let's get that little juicy word in about you. I, I, I can't come against you directly, but I'll just tell everybody else I don't really like you very much. We do this with just our tone of voice. Someone says, you know, did you meet with Bill lately? Oh, Bill. <laughs> and you don't say anything else. You walk off and they're like, what's wrong with Bill? I, I didn't know Bill was a sinner. I better start praying for Bill. There's something wrong with Bill. <laughs> you guys, you've done it. When you feel like there's something wrong with Bill and you don't really want to share it and yet you want to imply it and you just harm Bill. Guys, that, we do that stuff all the time. Instead of dealing with problems, we make assumptions or we give insinuations or we just plain flat out gossip. Did you hear what Bill did? Either one of those, all of those are inappropriate. Extend forgiveness and don't gossip. That is if Bill sinned against me, it's already gone. I might need to go deal with it. Now go back to the conference. We work through all that. I might need to deal with it, but it's gone. I can't, listen, I can't gossip about Bill's sin against me because I don't even remember it in any kind of inappropriate way. It's gone. You know, do you remember what Bill did? No, I don't even, in any kind of way that I would tell you. It's gone. 
I'm not harboring bitterness in my heart. I saw him sin against someone else. Well, fine, either deal with it or work on it or pray for Bill, but you extend forgiveness there too, and you're not talking about it. It's already gone. Wouldn't that be amazing if every sin that was committed in this church and difficulty was, there was proper forgiveness given, there was repentance made, that's the other side, repenting for the sin you commit against others. If that happened all the time right away, there, there wouldn't be a lack of peace. Continual ongoing peace because we would be forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's how he forgives you. Peacemaking at, at, at a fundamental level comes with extending forgiveness. Number eight is refuse revenge. Oh, turn to Romans 12. We've got to go here. It's got to go quickly, but you, you've got to see this. It is so important. Now, and, and slander comes from this as well. Really, oftentimes slander or gossip is a way we get our own revenge against other people. And you need to see how inappropriate that actually is, even though you know it already is. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, this includes unbelievers. Let me explain that for a little bit. You see, if you're a believer, it shouldn't ever be that be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. That is, if it's another believer, you should be at peace because that other believer should also be able to be at peace with you. So when both believers read this verse, they go, oh, there's no reason why we shouldn't be at peace because I have the Holy Spirit, I know the proper principles, and I can be at peace. So whenever you have to worry about this verse, there will always be peace if they're believers. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, if it's an unbeliever, you have a problem because they don't have the resources to be at peace with you. You have the resources to be at peace with them. And so you extend those resources. You go as far as you possibly can. You're not angry, bitter, or frustrated in your heart towards them. You are at peace, even if they're angry, bitter, frustrated, and an enemy of you. You're done. Now, unfortunately, in the church, there can be unbelievers there. So you might be dealing with someone who isn't. So you just are extending this. And yes, even believers can wrestle to fulfill their responsibility to be at peace with you. And so there might be a period of time where you have to continue extending peace, even though they're not at peace with you. And that shouldn't last long if you're a believer. And you come to me in my office and you're, you're having trouble. And I go, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Then essentially, why are we here? Well, because it's too big for us. Oh, okay, I get that. So let's work on the difficulties of it. There might be some really serious stuff going on. I get it. I'll help you. But the, at the end of the day, it is now it's time to be at peace. You don't have any excuse. You're believers. But believer or unbeliever, then you need to be a believer and you need to keep loving them until such as they are. So let's say you've done that and you're here at this church and there's still someone that you is not at peace with you. That's not your automatic assumption that they're an unbeliever. You're praying for them that they would, if they don't know Christ, they would come or they would respond then the, as a believer to be at peace with you. But let's say you're, you're that way and you're saying, Chris, see, I got you here because I, they're not at peace with me and they're a believer. They're supposed to be. So I have the right to harbor bitterness against them. Oh, no, oops. No, you don't. So maybe I'll just get a little revenge. I'll, I'll rub it in a little bit, or I'll tell somebody else, or I'll walk by them like this, or I won't go to their fellowship group, or I'll, you know, whatever I be, because I, I can't be around them. That solves the problem? No, let's see what the scripture says you're supposed to do. I know we've got to be quick here. We need to be done, but it's really important because this happens, unfortunately, too often. First, it says in verse 19, never take your own revenge. See, they're not at peace with me, and maybe they're actually sinning in some particular way. Well, I'm going to bring some revenge. I'm going to make them pay. That's what anger is. That's what slander is. It says, never take it. You don't get it. You be at peace with them. You may never take your own pound of flesh. You need to be done. Why? Because God will take revenge. God is just. If it's an unbeliever, where will the revenge take place? In hell. Do you really want that? Really? Are you going to withhold peace from them so they won't see a picture of peace and might not come to Christ so that God would extend his wrath upon them for all of eternity? I don't think you want that. Be at peace as far as it depends on you. Don't take your own revenge or what they see is an un, what looks like an unbeliever taking harming them and they go, why would I want the God you want? 
and they'll still die in their sin and spend eternity in hell. God will have his revenge as it were, proper righteous revenge. So you may not take it. He will. If it's a believer, then God has already poured his wrath out on Christ. The vengeance has already been taken. God will bring his discipline as is necessary, but there's no wrath there. And so there's no revenge for you to take. What, you're going to get a little extra wrath? God didn't get enough on Christ. So you'll add a little. I'll make you pay to your spouse, maybe. A little jab, a little dig. No, you're to be at peace as far as it depends on you and everything you say and in everything you do, never taking your own revenge, leaving room for the wrath of God. He'll do what's right. And you go, well, okay, but still, then I can just ignore him, right? I've done all that, so I'll just put him out of my mind. I don't need to think about that guy. You know, I know he's in the church, but I sit on this side. I go to first service. He goes to second service. I'm done. I'm at peace. That's, that's it. Uh-uh. No, no. Look, at the, look, look if you're in the scriptures. But if your enemy, because he's acting as your enemy at that point, right? You're not at peace. If your enemy is hungry, what? Ignore him. Put it in his face. Hi, you're hungry. You get nothing. No, wrong version. Okay? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So what are you doing? You're running around the church trying to find where that person is so he can be a blessing to them. Now, if the person's in your own home, you're constantly looking for ways to pour out your blessing upon them rather than harming them or being in opposition to them because you're not getting what you want. You're letting God bring the wrath. And you are bringing food and drink, either literally in some cases, but spiritually certainly. Because how much conflict do you think would remain if any person you were in conflict with, you were serving them hand and foot, trying to figure out ways to help them out, calling them up. Can I help you do that? What's going on? Can I babysit your kids? What can I do? And they're going, what is this? What happens? It heaps burning coals on their head. Their conscience goes, woo, I am an enemy of them. I'm acting like that. They're treating me like this. And their conscience goes off. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Now, they can excuse it, and if they're unbelievers, they'll find ways, and they'll, they'll just continue on. If they're believers, their conscience will go off, and the Lord will use that to bring them to, a, to right, a right response. And if they're unbelievers, oftentimes, he'll use it to what? To bring them to Christ. Because they'll be thinking, that looks a lot like Jesus. The very Jesus that I say, I hate. It's hard for me to hate that Jesus when I am an enemy of this person. I've harmed them, and they're constantly serving me. It's really hard to do that. You guys... Refuse revenge. I need to finish out. Um, number nine kind of turns the corner a bit. It's, it really deals with the second part of peacemaking, which is strive for evangelism. I don't want to ignore that. It's just that's not my purpose this morning to press in on that. It's very important that the church makes peace by proclaiming the gospel. And so I don't want to forget it. That's the verse I already read, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're ambassadors for Christ as though, or as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we need to be striving to be peacemakers in that area. But hear me, if you're not willing to be peacemakers here at this church, then trying to strive for greater evangelism is not going to be very valuable for you. As you are being a peacemaker here, you ought to be striving to be a greater peacemaker out in the community. Those two things should go together. And then the results, well, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for what? They shall be called sons of God. That means people, really two things. It's a future tense so really the second one of these is probably primary. I've got two things underneath this on the outline. The second one is probably primary in the mind of Jesus. That is God, also I'll take the second one first. God will claim you as his children when he comes again, as a child when he comes again. You've got a big mark on your forehead that says, child of God. Spiritual DNA written all over you. Why? Because you're a peacemaker and that's evident to God. He knows it. He knows your heart. He's seen your actions. He knows it all. And he comes and says, ah, there's my child, that peacemaking child. And a whole church of them, a whole universal church of them. 
He says, come on in to my kingdom where my children belong for all of eternity. And so he claims you as his own. There's a future tense there. You will be called sons of God. It's not in doubt. That is, you earned your salvation by being a peacemaker. It is made clear. And when he returns again, he says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Let's finish out the kingdom. Come join with me for the rest of all of eternity. But number one there, people will recognize that you are God's children. And for now, that's vital. They will not know that you are a child of God if you don't make peace with them. Remember, as far as it depends on you, if they're unbelievers, telling them the gospel so they'll know how to come to right relationship with God and then being at peace with your family members in your church. Imagine what a community thinks when they hear about a church where there's all kinds of internal wrangling, all kinds of lack of peace. You know what they do? They just go, yeah, that's what we thought. That's what we thought. There's people, they proclaim one thing, and they're totally another. I don't need that. And in essence, they don't need that. They need Christ. So guys, we don't want to be that church. That was Philippians 2.15, by the way. When you don't grumble and complain, what do you prove? You prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God. But that's in the eyes of the world. Right? They see it because you will shine. Then it says, it says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear, is lights in the world. So guys, that's a pretty great result. That God claims you when he returns and says, come into my kingdom. And that other people before he returns say, ah, you're a child of God. I want to know that God. I want to be in that family because that seems like a pretty neat family to be part of, full of peace. And mine has none. And my group has none. And my, my work has none. I want to see that peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the peacemaker, that you are the one who has provided the way to peace through your son, Jesus Christ. You have provided reconciliation. And I pray that we would take hold of that. Lord, if there are those here for the first time who need to repent and believe, to take hold of the reconciliation that you provided, that they would do so to be at peace with you. That they could be at peace with others as well. And I pray for all here who have been reconciled to you, that we would extend that reconciliation continually out to a dying world and to one another, that we would be peacemakers as sons of God. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King. And the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.